Hi, I'm Dennis Levick. This is my lovely wife, Tracy. Hi, I'm John Rudnick. We're Barry and Anita Chenault. My name's Edward Devlin. My name is Rosalie Devlin. Hi, we are Brent and Sheila Howell. My name is Matt Leesman. Hi, my name is Hannah Rollins. My name is Jeff Peterson. Prayer to me is something that I, I struggle with in the way that I feel like I have to have some kind of formal conversation with God. And it's not having that formal conversation. It's just talking to Him from your heart. Uh, we do it differently. She likes to have the door closed, the word open. I talk to God. I know my pathway to God is through Jesus but I talk to God like he's my friend. I know that he is the God that sees us. He is the God that knows our names. He's the God that knows what we're doing at all times. Um, having a small group, uh, it just seemed like the right thing to do. We feel so at home here that we want to branch out. We want to you know, invite people who want to participate in a small group. Uh, we want to bring people who may not um, come to the church. It's very important to be connected to people who love Christ and have the same wants and needs as far as the fellowship and, you know, being obedient to God. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Chapter 6. While you're turning there, you got plenty of time because I have a lot of announcements this week. First and foremost, small group season kicks off this week, guys. We're super excited. It's okay to clap for that one. Okay, small group season kicks off this week. We're super pumped about small groups. So if you are not in a small group, I want to challenge everyone in this room to consider being a part of a small group for the next eight weeks. If you're not in a group, you can find one online. GoCoastal.org slash small groups. You can grab one of the green grow booklets at the welcome desk on your way out. I'd love for everyone to find a small group and to be a part of a small group this season. Next, let's talk about this coming Saturday, Saturday, September 17th, because there's a lot going on. It's starting early in the morning. So guys, be here at 7 a.m. for our men's breakfast this Saturday morning. Come out for some great food, some great fellowship and time in the word, but then you're not allowed to go home because after that, we have our Gloucester cleanup day at nine o'clock, not just for the guys, but for everybody. This is going to be on Warehouse Road at the boat landing down there. We're going to be cleaning up the boat landing on Warehouse Road off of Main Street. So we'd love to see you there this Saturday from 9 to 11. Lastly, but certainly not least on Saturday, is our We Are Coastal class. This is our membership class here at Coastal where you can find out about who we are, about what we believe, and about how you can be a part of Coastal. This class is our on-ramp to membership. So if you've been coming for a little bit, been checking us out, you want to learn more about Coastal, please come out this this Saturday, right here at the Gloucester campus, 5 to 8.30 p.m. I know it's a long night, but dinner and childcare are provided. So think of it like a, a date night or a break or whatever. So uh, go coastal.org slash membership. Please register if you're able to come. That would help us out greatly in terms of purchasing food. You can sign up, go coastal.org slash membership or write WAC 
on your Connect card. Uh, a couple other things. I wanted to remind you for our student ministry that we are now tonight going to be meeting 5 to 6.30. Student ministry moved from Thursday nights, now is on Sunday night. So middle and high school students, we'd love to see you tonight right here at Coastal Gloucester, 5 to 6.30. Lastly, I wanted to thank you all so much for your participation in our backpack drive and in collecting school supplies. We were able to collect just a, a huge amount of backpacks and school supplies and bless our community, bless the school system. So thank you guys so much for your generosity in that. Alrighty, new sermon series. It's called An Open Door. And in this series, we're going to be really breaking it up into two parts. Part one is going to focus on prayer, which we're beginning this morning. We're going to spend the next four weeks talking about prayer together. And now, I don't think I need to spend a lot of time convincing you that prayer is important. Right? In a room that's probably mostly Christians, I don't think I have to convince you that prayer is important. We get it. Prayer is really important. Prayer is to your spiritual life what breathing is to your physical life. We have to pray. We understand that prayer is important, but it's hard. Right? I mean, can I admit that? I'm a pastor, y'all. I get paid to pray. And I will tell you, prayer is hard. Oftentimes, we don't know what to pray. We don't know what to say. We get distracted. Prayer can be very difficult. And then that leads us to feeling guilty because we don't pray enough or we don't pray like we think we should. Let me tell you guys, even just prepping for this sermon series, even this morning, I was feeling conviction in my own heart about my own lack of prayer as I'm studying for this. Guys, prayer is difficult, but it is vital to our spiritual lives. So what should we do about it? I think we should come to the best teacher in the world and let him teach us how to pray. You know, I love in the gospels when the disciples come to Jesus and they start asking for his instruction, they don't say, Lord, teach us how to preach. They don't say, Lord, teach us how to do miracles like you do. They said in Luke chapter 11, Lord, teach us to pray. There was something about the prayer life of Jesus that made them go, I want to be like that. I want to pray like him. And let me tell you, Jesus isn't the best possible teacher on prayer, not just because, well, duh, he's Jesus. But I think Jesus is uniquely qualified to teach on prayer because he's the only person who has ever prayed and legitimately been prayed to. What do I mean by that? As a human being, he prayed to God. As God, he is prayed to by us. He's the only one who's ever been on both sides. And because of that, he is uniquely qualified to teach us about prayer. So we ought to listen to what he says. And the best place to go is what's often called the Lord's Prayer. It's the most famous prayer in the Bible in Matthew chapter six. This is a prayer that is a model for us that is taught by Jesus himself. If we want to learn how to pray, I think we ought to memorize this prayer. We ought to frequently meditate on it and use it as, as a skeleton of sorts, as a model that we should use to pray. And while there's nothing wrong with memorizing and reciting the Lord's prayer, in fact, we're going to do that together here in just a minute. The real intent behind the Lord's prayer, I believe, was to be just that, a model that we can then use in our own words to teach us how to pray. I mean, think about how we teach our children how to speak. We say, repeat after me, imitate me. And then they begin to use their own words using the same concepts. That's what the Lord's prayer is seeking to do. Jesus is focusing. This is what our prayer should be like. This prayer is simple, yet it is incredibly profound. 
This prayer can and should be memorized by small children, but it cannot be mastered by anyone. It is incredible. And I am so excited to go through it over the next four weeks, because I believe guys, what we need more than anything else as a church is to learn how to pray, to be a people of prayer. There is no better spiritual thermometer for a church than are we praying? What is our prayer life like? We've got to learn how to pray if we are going to be the church that is effective for God's kingdom here in Gloucester County. So let me give you the main point of my sermon up front this morning. Because God is our father in heaven, we should pray with love and reverence, seeking his glory above all else. So here's the deal, guys. It's a little different in the next four weeks. I want to start the sermon the next four weeks by together. That means all of you out loud, just to be clear. Uh, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. I'm going to have the ESV up on the screen because that's what we use here at Coastal when we preach. But if you want to use the King James, that's just fine. The who arts and all of that, that's fine. Uh, but let's say this together and then we'll pray and then we'll go into the message this morning. So let's say this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You are our father in heaven. Lord, you are the one who knows us intimately and loves us completely. You are the sovereign king of kings and Lord of lords. And the cry of our heart is that your name would be glorified in our lives. So Father, this morning we come to you as your disciples did and say, teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray, Lord. We want to have a deeper relationship with you and every relationship is built on communication. Father, teach us how to pray and how to communicate with you so that we can grow in our love for you. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, a little bit of context. We are going to be studying Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter six. And this comes in the section, in the context of a section of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five through seven, the greatest sermon ever preached. And in this sermon, the great theme of chapter six is wholehearted obedience to God in contrast to the merely external religion of the Pharisees. Jesus begins the section in Matthew 6, 1 by saying, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. And he goes on to apply that principle to giving, to prayer and to fasting. And that's where the Lord's prayer comes in. It's a corrective to these merely external forms of prayer that the Pharisees were offering. So I think before we can ask Jesus to teach us how to pray, we need to let Jesus teach us how not to pray. We need to let Jesus teach us how not to pray. So we're going to back up and look at Matthew 6 verses 5 through 8. First thing is this. Jesus says, don't pray to impress people. Jesus says, don't pray to impress people. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me. He said, and when you pray, by the way, sidebar, it is not an if you pray. It's not optional here. He says, and when you pray, it's expected. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. 
But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You can almost picture this in your mind, can't you? Saying, don't be like the hypocrites. They get up in church and they get up on the street corner and they pray these long, gaudy, wordy prayers just to impress people. And there's people like, oh my goodness, you are so spiritual. You are, oh my goodness, you are just awesome. And Jesus says, the fickle praise of men is the only reward they're going to get. If you're praying just to be seen by other people, if you're trying to use prayer as a way to impress people. And Jesus is saying, instead of making a show out of prayer, we should spend time with our father because we love him and we want to talk to him. He says, go in your room, go in private, pray to your father in private and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is not condemning public prayer here. In fact, he's getting ready to do it in like a few sentences. He's not saying it's wrong to pray in front of other people. The location is not the problem. The heart is the problem. The problem is a heart that is desperate to be exalted in the eyes of others and is even willing to use God to do it. He's saying we don't pray to impress people. We don't pray uh, for others. We pray to God. And let me just tell you guys, confession time real quick. This is so easy to do. I say that as a pastor. I say it as someone who prays publicly multiple times a week. When you know your Bible and you know a little bit of Christianese, it is so easy to fake it. It's so easy to have the right words coming out here while there's nothing going on in here. It's so easy to do. And it's a temptation that we must avoid. Prayer is not a way to get attention from people. It is a way to communicate with God. Let us repent for times that we have used prayer in such a way. So we don't pray to impress people. But second, even more so, we don't pray to try to impress God. We don't pray to impress God. Look at verses seven and eight. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He says, don't heap up empty phrases. In the original language, it's literally babble. Don't babble on and on like the Gentiles do, Jesus says. You think just because you've cracked the code and you've said the right words that all of a sudden you're going to get God's attention and surely he's going to listen to you now. That's not what's going on here. Pagan religions have often used repetitive incantation-like prayers, thinking that if I say the right words in the right order the right number of times, then I will get God's attention. And it's so ironic to me. It is so ironic to me that that comes right before the Lord's prayer in the Bible because the Lord's prayer has often been used that way throughout history in church history. And otherwise I can remember. So in, in high school, very briefly, I played football. I wasn't any good at it, but I did play football for a little bit. Uh, and so there were, we used to recite the Lord's prayer together as a team before every game It's just sort of a way to get ready for the game. And there was one game where we actually forgot to say the Lord's prayer before the game. So I was sitting on the bench. I was there a lot. And there was a guy who was walking up and down the sidelines. So there's a guy walking up and down the sideline and we're losing this game. And if you looked up, the sky looked kind of ominous, just trying to paint a picture. And I'm not kidding. This guy walked by me, pointed up and went, he knows. <laughs> So the reason we were losing this football game, just to be clear, was not because we stunk. It's because we forgot to recite the Lord's Prayer before the game. That's why we're losing this game. Guys, that's not what prayer is about. 
God's after the right heart way more than he's after the right words. It's not about repeating the right words just to get God's attention. Because let me tell you, you already have his full attention. You don't need to crack the code and say the right words and repeat the right phrases just to get God to listen or to try to impress him. But Jesus says, our father knows what we need before we even ask him. God wants us to come to him with humility and sincerity and to bring the requests of our hearts before him and trust that he knows what's best with him. So now that we know how not to pray, Jesus teaches us how to pray by saying in verse nine, pray then like this. Again, not pray this, pray like this. And he begins this prayer by teaching us how to address God, how to address God. That is the the foundation of prayer is knowing how to address God. This informs the perspective that we have as we pray. And let me tell you from the outset, our prayers will not rise higher than our conception of who God is. If we have a small God, we will pray small prayers. If we believe in the almighty God of scripture, that will invite us to pray boldly and to pray without ceasing. So he says here in verse nine, our father in heaven, we need to understand both sides of that phrase. If we're going to understand who God is. So first of all, let's talk about what it means that God is our father. What does it mean that God is our father? First of all, note the pronoun here. He does not say my father who art in heaven, though he could have. He says, our father. In fact, go through the Lord's prayer. All of the pronouns in the Lord's prayer are plural. It's give us this day, our daily bread, not give me this day, my daily bread. There's almost this awareness implicit in the prayer that we are a part of a family, that we are a part of a church body, that we are not merely isolated individuals as Christians, but we are a part of a family. That's the first word, our, but then he says, our father, the Bible reveals God as a father. In the old Testament, we get little hints and glimpses of it, but it becomes very clear in the new Testament where God is referred to as father 245 times in the new Testament. God wants us to think of him and relate to him like a father. And even as I say that, I want to be quick to say, guys, I get it. We come from very different family backgrounds in this room. And there are some people for whom when we say that God is a father, that's a heartwarming thing. That's an encouraging thing. Guys, I have a great dad who loved me, taught me the word from a young age. And so that's easy for me. But I also understand there are people in this room where that is not the case. And it can be easy sometimes for us to project our experience with our earthly father onto the heavenly father. Let me encourage you this morning with this reality that there is no mistreatment in our heavenly father that our heavenly father never abandons his children, that our heavenly father is perfect. Please do not judge the heavenly father by the sins of your earthly father, but let the heavenly father reveal himself to you and his character to you through his word. Because what we're about to see is that the heavenly father loves us. He adopts us in Christ. He brings us into his family and makes us his own children. So let me show you a few things about what it means for God to be our father. First of all, he is our father by adoption. 
He is our father by adoption. God the Father only has one son by nature, that is Jesus. He is the son of God by nature because he is of the same nature as the father. That's the doctrine of the Trinity, that there's one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we are God's children by adoption because by nature, what does the Bible say about us by nature? It says in Ephesians 2, 3, that we are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Because we're sinners, we are not God's children by nature. We are God's children by adoption through the gospel. When we believe in Christ, through Christ, we become God's children. I love the way Romans 8 puts it. Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. He's saying, when you come to Christ, you are adopted into God's family. And he puts his Holy Spirit in you. The spirit of adoption is sons that, that bears witness that we really are God's children. And we cry out to God as our father. In Christ, we are adopted into God's family. Last week, guys, we talked about how God has declared us righteous in Christ. That's courtroom language, right? We have been declared not guilty. But the gospel is more than that. It's not just that we're declared not guilty. It's that we're adopted into his family. In the gospel, we're brought from the courtroom to God's living room. We are brought into his family. He has adopted us. And here's the incredibly good news, guys. You don't get to choose your earthly father, but God the father chooses you. Why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? Foundationally, you are a Christian because God wanted you to be. Because God chose you. Because God from eternity picked you. He wanted you. That's amazing, guys. It says that God has chosen us to be adopted as sons in Christ. I love the way that John Piper put this in a sermon. He said, God in eternity looked upon me for seeing my fallenness, my pride, my sin, and said, I want that man in my family. I will do anything to get him in my family. I will pay for him to be in my family with my son's life. That is the very definition of love, guys that God the Father has adopted us, that he has brought us into his family, that he has paid for us to be in his family with the blood of Jesus. This is the Father who loves us. Church, this is the Father who loves us. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The Puritan theologian John Owen once wrote, that the greatest unkindness that we can do to God the Father is not to believe that he loves us. Do you believe that? That's the greatest unkindness that you could do to God the Father is to doubt his love after the way that he has displayed it for us on the cross. He has adopted us. He has brought us into his family. What are some implications of this, of having a father who has adopted us and who has loved us in Christ? Let me give you three. 
2 Corinthians 1.3 calls God the father of mercies. He is the father whose mercies are new each and every morning. God is a father who delights to shower us with mercy and to forgive every failure, to forgive every sin. Unlike the father who is stern and harsh and perfectionistic and exacting, God the father, though he has perfect standards, he is delighted with our obedience and he loves us and he showers us with mercy for every failure. God is the father who perfectly provides for our every need, just as a good earthly father provides for his children. How much more so does the perfectly heavenly father? It says in Matthew 6, 8, he knows what we need before we even ask. He knows what we need before we even ask. Guys, I've got like a 16 month old. I can't figure out what she wants most of the time. But God knows what we need before we even ask because he is the perfect father. So we're good with those two usually, right? We love the father of mercy. We love the father who provides. We ain't gonna like the third one, but we need it. You ready? Because God is our loving father, he disciplines us. Because God is our loving father, he disciplines his children. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 that God disciplines every son whom he loves. God loves us too much to not discipline us because he knows what sin will do to us. This is the father who loves us, the father who has adopted us. And this is how it should impact the way that we pray. It should cause us to respond with love, to pray out of a heart of love for our father who is in heaven. As it says, as David begins his prayer in Psalm 18, I love you, O Lord, my strength. This heart of love toward the father in prayer should cause us to be bold in his presence. You should cause us to be bold. It says in Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Guys, we often think about in prayer, maybe God is tired of hearing me pray about the same things. God is sick of me confessing that sin over and over again. God's gotta be tired of me by now because I would be tired of me by now. God never gets bored with you. God never gets tired of hearing your prayers, but we have unlimited access to his throne. That should cause us to be bold before him. He has the kind of access that our children have. I mean, think about it. When Hannah wakes up at 3 a.m. with a nightmare, she has access to us because she is our child. Now, listen, I love you guys. As members of this church, as your pastor, I love you. But if you have a nightmare at 3 a.m., yeah, that's what your elders are for, right, Brian? <laughs> yeah, he'll be awake anyway. But listen, that's the kind of access that we have to our Heavenly Father. We have toddler nightmare at 3 a.m. kind of access to our Heavenly Father. Unlimited access. And unlike me at 3 a.m. who's grumpy, like, go back to sleep. <clears throat> our Heavenly Father delights to hear our prayers. And our requests are the most important thing in the world. He loves us and he delights to hear from us. This invites us to pray, but that's not the only thing. He doesn't say our father, hallowed be your name. He says our father in heaven, our father in heaven. 
if the fatherhood of God communicates his love and his care for us, the in heavenness, if that's a word of God communicates his majesty. It communicates his power. If I could use some big words for a moment, God as father communicates that he is imminent, that he is near to us. But God as in heaven communicates that he is transcendent, that he is glorious, that he is holy, that he is other, like nothing that we could ever imagine. Let me give you two things that are true of God in heaven. First of all, God is majestic. Because God is in heaven, God is majestic. He is holy. He is transcendent. I love Isaiah chapter 40. And the reason I love this passage is because again and again, when I come to Isaiah 40, the the small conceptions of God that I have in my mind are just blown up. And it's replaced with something much more biblical. Guys, I am convinced that one of the biggest problems that we have and many of our problems in life can be traced back to the fact that God in our minds is too small. That the God in our minds is too small. And we need a bigger, more glorious, more majestic picture of God. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 40 and just put some dynamite in our minds real quick. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Are you guys ready for this? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. All of the great nations in world history, every human civilization, all of their power and wealth and glory combined, it's like a drop in a bucket. It's like a little bit of dust on the scales that God can just go. It's as less than nothing before God. That's our God. He is majestic. He is holy. He is so much bigger than we could ever imagine. And this majestic God is powerful. Church, God is powerful. There is nothing that is too difficult for him. There is nothing that he cannot do. As he said through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. If God's love gives us the invitation to pray, it is God's power that gives us the reason to pray. Think about it. Why pray if God can't do what you're asking? What are you asking him to do? God's power gives us the reason to pray because we pray with the perspective that God is fully capable of doing everything we ask and infinitely more. That God is all powerful. Guys, prayer is not just therapy. Prayer is not just good vibes. Not even sure what that is. Prayer is speaking to the infinitely sovereign God of the universe and asking him to act on our behalf, knowing that he is fully capable of doing so and that he will always act in accordance with his purposes and his promises. 
That's why we need to pray. God is powerful. So how should this respond? How should we respond in our prayers as a result of this? We should respond with reverence. If God as father makes us respond with love, then God is in heaven causes us to respond with reverence. I just got done talking about how we have that toddler nightmare at 3 a.m. access to God. Let me balance that out a little bit with Ecclesiastes chapter five, two. It says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, there it is, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Therefore, let your words be few. What is he saying? Is he saying only pray short prayers? No. He's saying that because God is holy and because God is majestic, we should pray with a certain level of reverence, a certain level of respect an understanding of who God is and who we are so that we don't come to God flippantly, so that we don't take God for granted, so that we don't treat God as if, you know, the t-shirt, the Jesus is my homeboy kind of mentality or, or calling God the big man upstairs or whatever it is. No, this is the sovereign king of the universe that we're talking to. And we always have to keep that in mind. I love the way R.C. Sproul put it. Writing about prayer, he wrote, the sovereign has condescended to give us an audience. He has invited us into the heavenly palace. He has lifted the scepter and told us to enter. We have access to his very throne. But sometimes we come into his presence far too casually. We come to him and say, hi, God, how are you doing? We talk to God with the kind of familiarity that breeds contempt. It's a familiarity that reveals that we have forgotten who he is and who we are. We have forgotten that we are peasants in the presence of a king. True prayer begins and is framed by an acknowledgement of who God is and who we are. There is so much wrapped up in that little phrase, our father in heaven. He is our father in heaven. And when we understand that, we are now prepared to pray rightly, which leads us to the first request of the Lord's prayer. The first request. Now I love prayer request time and small group. I love taking up prayer requests. We typically only do one. If it's really important, you can do two. But if everybody goes through and has like five or six prayer requests, like we're gonna be there all night, right? So you only get one usually. You get one prayer request. And so if you only get one, it's gotta be the most important thing. It's got to be the most important thing, the most pressing need in your life. What is your one big prayer request? So the first request that is mentioned has got to be a big deal. What is Jesus's first prayer request in the Lord's prayer? It's God's glory. His first request is God's glory. Jesus says, hallowed be your name. Let's unpack that phrase for just a moment. So first of all, it's not a statement. It's a request. He's not saying, God, your name is hallowed. Just letting you know. He's saying, Lord, may you act in such a way that your name will be hallowed. Now, what does that mean? Not hollow, like as in the sense of something that is empty on the inside and not hollow in the sense of trick-or-treating with candy that we'll do next month. To hollow something means to treat it as holy, to regard something as holy. So when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, we are asking that God would act in such a way that his name would be treated and regarded as holy. Why his name? 
Well, in scripture, a person's name was synonymous with their character or with their reputation. It frequently says throughout the Old Testament and the prophets in particular that the Lord acted for the sake of his great name or for his character, for his reputation. So to summarize here, when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are praying that God would act for the glory of his name that his reputation, that his character would be displayed and seen as glorious in the world. Why is that a good first request? Because it, it sets our perspective for every other request. If God's glory is our top priority. I mean, thought experiment for those of you who have kids. Imagine if your kids came to you and asked for something. I know they never do that, but just imagine with me. Uh, your kids come to you and they ask for something. And they say, listen, mom, dad, before I even ask you for this, I just want you to know that my heart, my number one desire, my passion here is that you would be honored through your answer. My desire here is that the reputation of this family would be upheld as a godly family through what I request. Now, first thing, you'd wonder who, which robots these are who replaced your kids and how they got to look and sound so much like them. And then after you picked up your jaw off the floor, you would ask them, you'd be more inclined to listen to what they have to say because you know their heart is in the right place. How much more so when we come to God? We come to God and say, Lord, I have requests, I have desires, I have needs on my heart. But Lord, above all else, even before I ask you, I just want you to know that my real desire is that you would be glorified in this, that your name would be honored in this. That's our desire because guys, listen, we often pray grocery list prayers, right? We come to God, all right, I got a test coming up, Lord, and my aunt's got a surgery coming up, and all right, thank you very much, see you tomorrow. And now listen, there's nothing wrong with praying for those things. We can pray for anything. There's nothing too small to pray for. Don't get me wrong. We cast our burdens on the Lord. But how easy is it for us to get so lost in the minutia and all of the prayer requests that we lose sight of what the goal is, of what the top priority is, which is the glory of God. Our first priority should be the honor of God's name. So let me leave you with a few takeaways this morning. The first takeaway is a question that I'd like you to reflect on in your own heart. Is God your father in heaven? Is God your father in heaven? Let me be very clear this morning. This is a Christian prayer. This is a prayer that we offer in Jesus' name, meaning through Jesus as our mediator. Only a Christian can say our father in heaven. Because it is only in Christ that we are adopted into God's family. So maybe you're here today, you're visiting with us, you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're not a Christian. Let me share with you the best possible news in the world this morning called the gospel. The gospel is a word that means good news. It is the good news that there is a holy God who made us in his image for the purpose of bringing him glory in our lives. Yet all of us have sinned against God. We have disobeyed God. And for that, we deserve God's punishment. But God loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins in our place. He rose from the dead three days later. So now whoever would turn from their sins, trust in Christ and receive him as their savior will have eternal life. That is the gospel. And when you do that, God adopts you into his family. God becomes your father in heaven. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, 
Let me tell you, the Father's arms are open wide. The Father's arms are open wide. Come to Christ and through Christ, enter into a family. That's the gospel. And so listen, if that's you, you're not a Christian and you want more information on how you can do that, I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come now. During this last song that we're gonna play or even after the service, come and find one of these guys with the prayer team lanyard on. They'd love to talk with you about the gospel and they'd love to pray with you about how you can have a relationship with God and how God can be your father in heaven. Second takeaway is this, approach God boldly, but not casually. Approach God boldly, but not casually. First of all, approach God boldly in prayer. Guys, you have 3 a.m. toddler nightmare access to God. You can come to God whenever you want with whatever you want, knowing that you have his full attention and that he delights to hear from you. That's amazing. The most important person in the universe loves to hear from you and wants to hear from you. That is an encouragement to pray. We ought to pray without ceasing. We ought to pray about everything. We ought to come into God's presence boldly, not shy, not timid, but knowing that he is our father who loves us and bring our prayers before his throne. But we ought never to approach God casually. By casually, I mean flippantly, disrespectfully, taking God for granted. God of the God of the Bible will not be treated casually. And he likes to give us these little reminders throughout the Bible, little just warning signs. Hey, I'm not a tame lion, as it says in the Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, think about it. Leviticus chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu. God told them how he was to be worshiped. They offered a strange fire before the Lord that he had not authorized. Dead. I mean, what about Uzzah? He just didn't want the ark to fall over. He saw the ark about to fall over. Oh, hold on, let me grab it. God said, don't touch the ark. That's just the Old Testament, Pastor Nate. That's just, stuff's different now. That's just the Old Testament. Okay, Ananias and Sapphira. You heard of them? They made a donation to the church. They lied about how much it was. And you guessed it. God will not be treated casually. God will not be disrespected. I'm not saying if you pray wrong, you're gonna get zapped. What I'm saying is that God will not be treated casually and we ought to come into his presence with reverence and with respect, understanding that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Those are the two tensions that make for healthy prayer. God is our father who loves us. Let us come boldly. God is the sovereign King of Kings. Let us come submissively and reverently. Last takeaway, and with this, I'll invite the worship team. Make God's glory your priority. Make God's glory your priority. Guys, we're invited here. Pray without ceasing. Pray constantly about whatever is on your heart. But make sure that your prayers are shaped by the perspective of Hollywood be your name. Make sure that your prayers are per- shaped by the perspective that before anything else, we want God to be glorified. The deepest desire of my heart is that God's name would be honored in my life. And here's why that's so incredible. Because we come to God with a wide variety of requests and things that we want and things that we need. But even as we bring those to the Lord... We can now say, God, whether you say yes or no, no matter what your answer to this prayer is, as long as you're glorified, I will rejoice. No matter what, 
Because the cry of my heart is that your name would be hallowed, that your name would be glorified in my life. We want God to be seen as glorious in the world. Let that be the perspective of everything that you pray for. Let me encourage you guys to take this journey with me for the next few weeks of growing in our prayer life. Let me challenge you. Use the Lord's prayer as a model, as a guide on how we can pray. Go through these lines, line by line, and pray them in your own words, taking the idea, the concept, and praying it in your own words. I think the number one spiritual thermometer of a church is our prayer life. So let's make this a season when Coastal Gloucester really gets serious about prayer, where we say that prayer is gonna be our highest priority. So here's what we're gonna do. I wanna close the sermon this morning by praying a prayer that is shaped by the first part of the Lord's Prayer. And then we're we're gonna close in song, but let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, Oh Lord, you are our father. You have adopted us into your family in Christ. You have loved us with an everlasting love. Lord, you are our father who delights to show us mercy for every sin. Our father who knows every need before we ask of it. Our father who disciplines us out of love. Our father who is always there for us, who will never leave us nor forsake us, who invites us into your presence constantly. Oh Lord, but you are not just our father, but you are our father in heaven. You are almighty. You are sovereign. You are holy. You are omnipotent. You are glorious. And so we bow before you, Lord, with reverence and with awe. Almighty, holy, loving father. There are many requests in this room. There are many burdens on our hearts this morning, Lord. There are various needs, Lord, physical needs, spiritual needs, financial needs, relational needs, more than we could even count. And Lord, you know all of them before we even ask. And so Lord, in all of these requests, the cry of our heart is hallowed be your name. Glorify your name in our lives, O Lord. Glorify your name in our church. Above all else, Lord, be exalted, be glorified in us. We love you, Lord. We give you our heart. We give you our lives today. Bless us as we go from this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and go out singing.